How might a scandal in 2019 determine who ends up running the Federal Security Service in 2021? Listen on. It's the fourth day of shadowy Christmas. So happy 28th of December to my esteemed patrons and 4th of January to everyone else. Anyway, back in 2019, there was quite a scandal and one of the subdivisions of the Federal Security Service was at the epicentre of it. And I want to tell its story and then explain why it might well be relevant in 2021. Now look, corruption is a deeply serious problem throughout the FSB. It has to be said, in my opinion, it is one of the dirtiest of all the institutions within the current Russian state. However, within that, the Economic Security Service, the SEB, is, I would suggest, the most corrupt. And within the SEB, Directorate K probably bears the dubious distinction of being one of the SEB's most notoriously dirty. And that's no mean feat. Now, Directorate K is a specialist subunit of the SEB, which is also known as the Fourth Service, which is specifically charged with monitoring the credit and banking systems. And look, I'm not saying it hasn't solved crimes and deterred others or whatever, but let's be perfectly honest, much of the time it seems to be committing the crimes rather than preventing them. In fact, actually, as one veteran of, retired veteran, I should add, of first the KGB and then the FSB told me back in 2015, 2016 or so, he said that, you know, we know today's checkists are are pretty dirty. Checkists being the uh, general term for veterans of the security services. But Directorate K even gives dirty checkists a bad name. I mean, again, quite a feat. Now, there's been a whole series of criminal cases which in recent years have been brought against officers of the directorate. Extortion, embezzlement, so-called raiding, in other words, seizing assets under spurious legal grounds. The one that I particularly liked was that uh, a Colonel Kirill Cherkalin uh, was found in, I think, again, 2019, with 12 billion rubles. That's what, something like... 12 million quid in cash and valuables in his flat when he was arrested. Now, look, this is not actually that he himself had made that much money. It is rather, and it's something that we've encountered in in other experiences, it's often it's people within the investigative organs who, in effect, set themselves up as underworld banks. The idea being that these people are bulletproof, that there's no way that they're going to get raided. And therefore, their flats or other properties can be used as a place to stash your ill-gotten loot safely. Which is fine up until the point where it doesn't. But that's how you end up with 12 billion rubles in, in your apartment. And in particular, in 2019, corruption investigation was opened into Major General Ivan Tkachov, who was the um, directorate's head. And that's going to be quite significant. As of writing, the investigation is still ongoing, which says something. It says something that obviously this is a guy with a lot of protection, but also on the other hand that his crimes were probably too large to be just swept under the carpet. Now, the reason why Directorate K and the SEB as a whole actually has such a high degree of impunity 
is precisely because of just how important the Kremlin has decided that monitoring the banking sector is. Not so much just about matter of dealing with crimes, but rather because it's a way of controlling the elite. If you control their financial flows, if you know who's getting what, who's in business with whom, and above all, where the money is going, then you have a considerable level of control. We also see this with, with another particularly interesting institution, Rosfin Monitoring, though that seems to have a rather cleaner reputation. And again, let me, let me quote that, that previous um, FSB KGB veteran. You know, whoever knows where the Vlasti keep their money knows how to keep them in line, the Vlasti, the powerful. So there has always been this implicit understanding. Directorate K gets a certain amount of impunity so long as it gets the job done. The problem is, what happens when it gets too greedy? What happens when its venality outweighs its advantage to the state? And it's these kind of understandings that seem to have been deemed to have been broken in 2019. And it also reflected, I think, an increasing dissatisfaction on the part of FSB director Alexander Bortnikov about the way things were going, about the, well, frankly, the, the SEB's effectiveness as a whole, but in particular about the extent to which, in effect, elements of the FSB were turning up to be to hire, for hire by powerful figures outside the agency. And this was brought into sharp relief in November 2016 with the arrest of Economy Minister Alexei Ulyukaev in a sting that was organised, orchestrated and purely for the benefit of Igor Sechin, head of Rosneft. Now, this operation was coordinated by a man by the name of Alyeg Fyoktistov. Now, although he had recently just become head of security for Rosneft, coincidentally enough, before that point, he'd been the very long-serving head of a department of the Internal Security Directorate, essentially the FSB's internal affairs, known as Sechin's Spetsnaz, which says something about how far, you know, it had become pretty much public knowledge that there were people who basically took their orders not from Bortnikov, but from Sechin. Now, this is interesting because this, this sixth department of the Internal Security Service, um, it was formed back in 2003 under Feoktistov. And it was very much drawn from ex-members uh, of the old you know, the special forces, particularly the FSB's Alpha and Vimpel counter-terrorism units, as well as a selection of personal clients of Feoktistov, who apparently called him the Pope. There you go. There's a nickname for you. And they soon became infamous for their willingness to do whatever was necessary, regardless of the laws, in the interests of the Kremlin. Particularly, they made their debut as part of the detachment which raided uh, Mikhail Khodorkovsky, his Yukos oil company, in 2003, to set the scene for Khodorkovsky's high-profile arrest and very, very public and demonstrative demotion from richest man in Russia to just another convict as a way of breaking the resistance of the oligarchs overall. Since then, they were always at the former forefront of so many of the FSB's turf wars, particularly in its feud with the Federal Counter-Narcotics Service for a while, as well as with the Interior Ministry's Anti-Corruption Unit. Again, they were untouchable because they were useful. But there came a point where they became much less useful. 
As a result, the sixth was given, went through a major reshuffle. A lot of its people went out, including Feltistov's deputy and confidant, Tkachov, moved sideways into Directorate K, and frankly brought with him a lot of, again, Sechin Spetsnaz. So in some ways, all that happened was that while Directorate, um, sorry, Department 6 was no longer controlled by Sechin, they just simply went and colonised a different and in some ways even more dangerous element. However, what happened is not just simply a, an example of, of the distorting effects that power and money can have on the workings of a security agency. It also says something about changing priorities within the government. And it says something about potential succession as well. Now, since 2016, the head of the SEB has been General Sergei Karolyev, who's an able and ambitious officer by all accounts, very much seen as a rising star. He had a complex relationship with Tkachev, I mean, who had served under him before and along with Feoktistov. Tkachev was in many ways instrumental in Karolyev's rise, and in effect was a kind of a hostile takeover of the SEB in 2016. Because then Karolyev had led the investigations into the, the previous head of Directorate K, Viktor Varonin. And that also led to the resignation of SF, SEB director Yuri Yakovlev. And then Korolev basically simply replaced the guy he had investigated and brought down. Again, this might well sound like a case of promotion by elimination, but in, in fairness, um, I don't think that we should be weeping bitter tears for Varonin and Yakovlev. I don't think they're any cleaner than any of their colleagues. Karolyev brought Tkachev and Feoktistov with him. And I think since then, there has been a sense that Tkachev had just become a little bit too big for his boots, a little bit too ambitious and a little bit too controversial to be a safe ally. So kind of Karolyev basically, I think distance himself from him. Because after all, Karolyev had eyes on the prize. He was someone who was widely tipped to replace General, General Sergei Smirnov as first deputy director of the FSB, possibly as a step towards actually becoming director. Smirnov retired in October. It was time, he was 70, he'd reached the sort of the maximum age. But to be perfectly honest, it does seem to have been under a bit of a cloud. I think he has been one of the early casualties, shall we say, of the whole Navalny poisoning debacle. But so far, he hasn't been replaced. And so these are some of the sort of bigger significances of this scandal. First of all, it speaks to the whole issue of the leadership of the FSB. Bortnikov, we must remember, is 69. In other words, he's one year short of mandatory retirement. And although it's possible that they'll end up fudging or changing the rules, I suspect not. So he's got to go. And frankly, there has been debate for some time about who will replace him. And the assumption for a long time was that it would be an insider. And absolutely, Karolyev was very much tipped as, as kind of a front runner for immediate or sort of close to immediate elevation. The idea was it's possible that they put someone else in who was close to retirement to give them a year or two, a bit of glory, a bit of pension, a bit of time for Korolev to become even more sort of matured, shall we say, and then he'd be ready. 
because Kuryev has a, a very strong basis. I mean, he worked within the Economic Security Service. In fact, it, it, particularly he had worked in St. Petersburg, which is often one of the crucial places on the cursus honorem of any ambitious Czechist who worked in, in Putin's city. He'd been in the Military Counterintelligence Department Directorate of, of the FSB, where he particularly was charged with monitoring GRU, military intelligence, so he's had contacts with other agencies. Head of the Internal Security Directorate. This more or less means that you know where all the metaphorical or indeed actual skeletons may be buried. And then, of course, now the Economic Security Service, which is, again, where you make your money and where you make your connections. He's apparently got the confidence of both Bortnikov and Nikolai Patrushev, Secretary of the Security Council, and some people suggest that he's also got links in with the oligarchy, particularly with the Rotenberg brothers, who are, after all, amongst Putin's closest. So he seemed to be a shoo-in, but now, 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 not so much. The scandals have tainted him. And there is a concern that precisely maybe he's a little bit too closely linked to the elite. If you really want the FSB to be an instrument of control, then maybe they also need to have a certain more distance. The question is, though, who is around to replace him? Well, within the FSB, and I'm actually going to be doing a full podcast um, looking at this in in the new year, there are two figures that have been mentioned. Sergei Biasida, who's head of the Fifth Service, which is the uh, Service of Operational Information and International Relations. Long title. In some ways, that makes him the FSB's chief diplomat. Um, He's, by all accounts, fairly good at that. Whether he is uh, sufficiently sharp-knuckled and rough-elbowed for the job, and particularly for handling Kremlin politics, that seems to be one of the the uncertainties about him. And then there's also Vladislav Minshikov, who's currently head of the First Service, which is the Counterintelligence Service. He has, well, I mean, on the one hand, uh, a career which has not just been within the security services, but also he spent um, about 11 years as general director of Almaz Ante, which is a big military corporation making largely air defense systems. And reportedly, he also is close to Sergei Ivanov, former Putin chief of staff, former KGB veteran, Technically now, just simply the presidential representative for environmental affairs, but still an informal heavyweight within Kremlin circles. Again, though, the question is whether or not Menshikov quite has the weight that the job requires. And that's why there is also talk of bringing an outsider, something which would incidentally be very much opposed by the FSB itself. They don't like the idea, but they might be forced to accept it. Names that have been conjured with Yevgeny Zinichev, who's the Minister of Emergency Situations at the moment, and incidentally, I would say, a client of Defence Minister Shoigu. There's Alexei Dumin, former Putin bodyguard, who definitely at one point was tipped for higher things. Putin tried and failed to install him as head of military intelligence, and he's now governor of Tula. I must say, I don't see Dumin as being a particularly intellectual heavyweight. But maybe presidential trust matters more than that these days. The only other name that really has been banded about much is Anatoly Serechev, who's currently a presidential aide. Again, it says something about the way that Putin's circle of people he knows has shrunk and shrunk. So he's left with with bodyguards, aides, 
umbrella carriers and so forth. We don't know at this stage. But again, it says something that even with less than a year to go, there still has not been any decision about succession. And in many ways, it was the scandal in Directorate K that ensured that Korolev's apparent effortless rise towards um, elevation was stymied. Secondly, this says something about an awareness of the costs of embezzlement to the national economy and very, very specifically the national projects. Now, the national projects are the sort of central part, really, of Putin's legacy building within the country. A series of major economic and infrastructure pr- plans on which they're planning on spending, I think it's something like 27 trillion rubles in due course. Now, they're already back behind schedule, not least because of the impact of coronavirus and such like. But still, they are significant. And it's interesting that we are beginning to get much more of a sense of a pr- concern about the degree to which an elite that bleeds the state dry is also preventing that state from accomplishing its goals and in the process preserving itself. These national projects are not just simply about Putin feeling that he's rebuilt the country, though that's undoubtedly a part of it. They're also about addressing very, very real needs of the nation and demonstrating that this is a Kremlin, this is a system which is relevant and significant to the, the masses themselves. And I mean, we're also seeing this, for example, with Prime Minister Mishustin, worth noting, ex-head of the tax service and a very successful head of the tax service. But you know, with him, we're also seeing this general push, not just towards efficiency, but also about cutting down on the institutional embezzlement, which is such a problem for this state. Now, again, this whole scandal about Directorate K, the fact that it still hasn't gone away, it's still rolling forward, it's still being remembered, It actually undermines the capacity of the FSB to present itself as being on on the side of the angels and actually being part of the protection of the system. It may well mean that that's why they will have to have some kind of cleansing of the stables. Because at the moment, the problem is this, that the institutions that are there to prevent this kind of drain on the state's resources too often themselves have just simply taken over the role of draining the resources. That's going to be a challenge for the future. It's going to be a challenge either for the FSB's leadership or ultimately for the Kremlin. We'll have to see if they pick it up. And the final point is actually a much broader one. The the fact that despite everything, there still seems to be a massive level of capital flight, of embezzlement of funds and so forth. And I'm wondering if actually one can begin to think of that as in some ways an index in the elite's confidence in the regime. In other words... If you really feel that, and no, no one thinks it's, it's days or months, but it's, we're talking about years, but nonetheless, if the time available to the status quo is limited, well, then you have more of an incentive to think, let me steal what I can while I can. Let me go, you know, while the going is good, let me see what I can get. Whereas, of course, if you think that the system is going to continue in perpetuity, then you can afford to be more long-termist in your perspectives. So I just flagged this up as something that we might want to think about for the future. If we do spot the attempts at controlling this problem failing, and instead the elite trying to be more and more rapaciously short-termist in how they steal, well, that might tell us something. That might tell us that the the elite themselves think... This regime's days are numbered. Thank you very much. That's another cellcast. 
Expect more to come. Не скоро я к нему вернусь обратно. Ты только будь, пожалуйста, со мною, товарищ правда, товарищ правда.